Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. This sermon series, from now all the way through Easter, is called The Way, and it involves an examination of Jesus' teachings from his Sermon on the Mount, as found in the Gospel of Matthew. The importance behind this sermon series is that Jesus is revising many of the laws that we find in the Old Testament. It's important for our understanding as Christians to understand where he comes from and how he interprets those laws. I hope you enjoy this series. Our first reading this morning comes from Leviticus chapter 5, verses 4 through 10. Or when any of you utter aloud a rash oath for a bad or good purpose, whatever people utter in an oath and are unaware of it, when you come to know it, you shall in any of these be guilty. When you realize your guilt in any of these, you shall confess the sin that you have committed, and you shall bring to the Lord as your penalty for that sin that you have committed a female from the flock, a sheep or a goat, as a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement on your behalf for your sin. But if you cannot afford a sheep, you shall bring to the Lord as your penalty for the sin that you have committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. You shall bring them to the priest who shall offer first the one for the sin offering, wringing its head at the nape without severing it. He shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. And the second he shall offer for a burnt offering according to the regulation. Thus the priest shall make atonement on your behalf for the sin that you have committed, and you shall be forgiven. The word of the Lord. That's right. That's how you were forgiven of your sins back then. You always had to keep some animals handy because you never knew when you might need one to be forgiven. It's interesting stuff. I've left those out because, you know, in all the Old Testament texts, it actually tells you how you're supposed to be forgiven, and always there's some kind of burnt offering or sin offering. But I wanted to include it just one time so you could see how gross it actually is. <laughs> Our next scripture reading comes from Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Jesus is, of course, talking about what we just discussed. Again, you have heard it was said by those, to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. We are doing our sermon series called The Way, where we're looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel of Matthew. Each week, we're looking at one of Jesus' teachings where he talks about an Old Testament law, and then he's giving us his commentary on that law. Today, we are going to be looking at swearing oaths or making promises, whether you can do those things or not. And to get into this, I would like to tell you a story from my childhood. So when I was growing up, like many children of my generation, I watched a lot of television. A lot of television. And this is because when I was coming around, there was actually a big difference in the television viewing experience that I had versus a lot of you. So when you all were growing up, I expect that many of you in here only had the 9 or 12 channels 
that you could get via the antenna, right? Am I correct about that? Well, in the 1980s, when I was coming of age, that's when cable companies started to sell these big premium cable packages that you could get. And my parents, they got one in the mid to late 80s. Now, compared to the network televisions like ABC, CBS, NBC, they had a few shows that were geared towards children. But when you get this cable package, all of a sudden, you had whole networks that were designed and catered towards children's entertainment, which was like kid utopia. Let me just tell you, it was fantastic getting all these shows. Now, as a child, right, the difference between children's programming and adult programming is one word, and that is fantasy. So for adults, what we like to watch, it needs to have a lot of realism behind it. It can be fictional, it doesn't have to be true, but it has to feel real. Whereas for kids, they love fantasy. They love being immersed in whole worlds that are different from their own. I love watching my kids. My kids, they, they love to watch cartoons. I was really big into cartoons myself. And they just love the worlds that are created. They're into Paw Patrol right now. I don't know if you know what that is. But they get that. They have all the toys. And so when they're not watching it, they're playing with the toys. And I was the same way. I just loved watching these shows and then being able to imagine what was happening in my mind when I wasn't watching television. But then, as I kind of aged into late childhood, 10 or 11, I noticed something very interesting was happening with my peers. Whereas they were starting to draw a very clear distinction in their minds between the real world and the fantasy world, those two worlds were starting to blend together for me. Now, I knew the difference between the real world I inhabited and the fantasy world, but Whereas they were trying to distance themselves from the fantasy world, I was grasping to hold on to it. So let me give you an example from my life of how this was happening. So in the late 80s, probably like 88, 89, I saw on television, because we had cable, Back to the Future. You ever seen that movie before, Back to the Future? Okay, it came out a little bit before my time where it would have been relevant to me, but I saw it later on, on TV. And in case you don't know what this is about, it's this high school student, right, who befriends this disgraced nuclear physicist who has created a time machine with a DeLorean that can go back into the future, can time travel, right? So I saw this movie. It was super cool to me because it was all about, like, time travel. I never thought about that concept before. And then I saw this scene from the movie. <laughs> Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going. We don't need roads. That was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> I had always imagined a car that could fly in here on this movie. I could actually see it for the first time. And so, beginning around fourth grade, I started telling my friends that I was working with my dad to build that car. <laughs> now, I don't know if it says more about me or the quality of my friends, but some of them actually believed me when I told them this. So, every week I'd come to school and I'd say, 
we'd made a little bit of progress on building this car, right? At first, we had to do the wheels, you know, that was important, and then eventually we got it off the ground, and then we were able to make it fly, and then the story had to keep increasing, right? So I was like, eventually we got into lower orbit, and then eventually, the coup de grace was when we flew around the moon. Now that was the one where they started to question whether or not I was telling the truth. You would think they would have questioned it long before that. Now, the interesting thing about this is, though, I would always say, well, if you don't believe me, just come over to my house and I'll show you for myself. But I always went over to their houses to play, so I never had to deal with any of the consequences of my lies. Well, one day, I call my friend up and I say, hey, I'm coming over to your house. He's like, no, 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 I want to come over to your house today. You've been talking about this car for like a year and a half. I want to see what this is all about. So he comes over to my house, and there's no car there, right? So I have to start making excuses. I'm like, oh, well, my dad, he took the car to work, right? He's like, well, what about those moon rocks you said you picked up? And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're in the back of the car, right? And he's like, well, what about the welding shop that you had to, like, put this car together? And I'm like, oh, we dismantled that because the car is all finished now. We know we don't need it anymore. Now, my friend, this guy, we had played together every day up until that time. From that point forward, he never spent another day with me after that. Now, you could sit there and you could say, oh, well, you know, it's just a case of a kid who had an overactive imagination. It might be small and trivial in the sense that I didn't know where to draw the line. But I actually lost a number of relationships because of my behavior. And it wasn't just that I was telling fanciful tales about flying cars. I lied about everything in my life. You asked me what I had for breakfast. I would sit there and I would tell you that I had pancakes when in re reality I had cereal. If I, so you said, how much money do you have in your pocket? If I had a dollar, I'd tell you I had 10. I lied about every detail of my life. It's like I had this compulsion where I couldn't tell the truth. Now looking back on that period of time in my life, it probably only lasted about four years, from age 10 to age 14. And if I'm trying to figure out why did I want to build my life around lies? I can think of two big reasons. One major reason is because of what I was seeing on television. So I'd come home from school, and I'd sit down, and I'd watch these shows about these amazing characters, these people who went through all these really cool adventures. Whereas my life, by contrast, was super boring, right? I went to school, I came home, I went to a sports practice, I did my homework, and I went to bed. That was my life, just like every other kid in the world, right? That's just what I did. But I wanted my life to be exciting. I wanted my life to be something that other people envied. I wanted my life to be something that both kids and adults alike would sit there and say, yeah, I want to have a life like that. I wanted to be the guy who got the girl because I was clever or smart or because I was quick or fast. I wanted to be a hero, and in my mind, I was a hero. But the only way anybody would really know that is if I told them the stories that were in my head. But if I'm being honest, and that's really what this sermon is about, right? Honesty? There's a much deeper reason why I told so many lies. You see, when you tell a lie to somebody, and they believe you, there's a certain power in that. Because when you tell them that lie and they accept what you say and they actually believe you and they walk away, it feels like you got away with something. There's kind of like a rush in your body. Have you, have you ever 
played cards like poker or something like that? Like this is the best analogy I can think of. Have you ever played poker? And if you played poker before, then what you do is you sit there and you have all these people around you and you're trying to get the best hand so you can take all the money, right? Well, if you don't have good cards, then you have to bluff your way through it. And sometimes you can have no good cards and you can bluff your way to the win. And when you do that, if you've ever had that happen to you, it feels really cool because you're like, yeah, I got away with it, right? But if you bluff too often in card games, what happens? You lose all your money, right? And in the same way, if you bluff too much in life, you're going to lose all your relationships. And I can tell you that losing all your relationships is much, much worse than losing all of your money. You see, when you lie too often, then what happens is people stop trusting you, and then the only leverage you have is to swear oaths. Say, I swear to God what I'm telling you is true. You ever hear people say, I swear on my grandmother's grave? They'll, tell, they'll say that. What does that mean? Well, it means that they love their grandmother so much that they would never lie to them, and so they're going to give you the same respect. But I'll tell you right now, anybody who's saying that they are going to, they, they're like, I swear on my grandmother's grave, they're lying through their teeth. I know, I've done it before, a number of times. You see, this is why in the Old Testament, it actually says in the scripture that you heard Adam read this morning, it says that when you swear a brash oath, I think that's very interesting, a brash oath, that you have to sacrifice those animals to make atonement for it, because it's a sin. Now, it's not that you couldn't swear oaths or make promises. People did that all the time in the ancient world. It's just that when you made a claim that was so outlandish, so over the top, you had to make amends for it. And the reason why is because when you make a promise, your words, they create expectation. So let me give you a very simple example, something very easy. So let's say that I tell my child, I say to them, I say, you know what, I'm going to get you a toy. I promise I'm going to buy you this toy. Now what, what happens when I do that? Well, I planted a seed in my son's mind that says to him, okay, in the future, I'm going to get a toy. So my words, they've created potential. They've created hope. They've created expectation. So if I don't follow through with those words, <clears throat> what's going to happen? Well, there's going to be a certain level of disappointment, right? Because I created expectation, and that expectation didn't come to fruition. But that's just a toy right? Let's up the ante a little bit. Let's say I say to my child, I'm going to pay for your college. Or I say to somebody who I love, I'm going to marry you. Or I say to my parents, I'm going to take care of you in your old age. Those are pretty high expectations, aren't they? And so if I don't follow through on that, then those people, they're going to have their spirit broken by that because they were expecting me to follow through. My words, they created potential. And that potential caused people to change their lives the way they act as a result of my words. So think about that. If I tell my child, I'm going to pay for your college, what's going to happen in that situation? When he gets to be a freshman in high school, is he thinking about saving for school? Is he thinking about going out and getting a job to make sure he has enough money packed away to get into school? No, all that stuff. He's not thinking about financial aid. He's not thinking about scholarships. The only thing he's thinking about is what? I have to do the best I can to get in the best school possible because it's covered for me, isn't it? Okay, let's take the other example I gave you. Let's say that I say I'm going to marry you because I love you. Well, 
if that's the case, then you're not going to be looking for other potential mates. Even if you come across somebody who's amazing, you're like, wow, this person's super cool. You're going to pass that person by, aren't you? Because you're committed to me. I've said, I'm going to marry you. Or my parents, let's say I'm going to take them in in their old age. That changes their behaviors, doesn't it? Because now they have to save, as opposed to saving up all this money. I mean, those of you who live at Luther Home or Moorings, I mean, that costs money, doesn't it? To have... To, to save up for all of that. So the reality is they're relying on me. I'm the one that they're looking at to actually make this come to life because they didn't save all that money. They didn't pack it away because my words caused them to act in a certain way. Well, what's happening here? Follow me on this. This is important. My words, they create expectations in people's lives, and those expectations, they cause people to act in a very specific kind of way. So if I tell the truth and I follow through with my words, then that creates positive action in the world. If I lie, though, and I don't tell the truth, and I don't follow through on my words, then that actually causes people to act against their own self-interest. So in a very real way, Lying is kind of like a dark art in the sense that you create potential and expectation with your words, but in creating that potential and expectation, you're actually causing people to work against themselves, and so it creates a negative or it makes their life worse as a result of your words. Are you following me on this? Like how it's kind of a dark art in the sense that it creates negativity in people's lives. I think this is why Jesus comes out and he says very specifically, hey, just don't make oaths or promises at all. Jesus says in the scripture that we read this morning, just make your yes, yes, and your no, no. It's very simple, right? Just be a person of your word. Say what you say and then follow through with it. That's all there is to it. Wouldn't the world be a much easier place if that's the way we did things? Wouldn't it? Oh my gosh, it would just make everything so much easier. But that's not the way the world works, does it? And the question is, why doesn't the world work that way? Why can't we just say yes, yes, and no, no? Well, the reason why is because of something we've been talking about for the last few weeks, and it has to do with our thoughts. You see, if you can't be honest with yourself in your mind, then there is no way that you can be honest with people out in the world. And we lie to ourselves all the time, don't we? Let me give you a couple different types of examples of how we lie to ourselves. So most people in this room are over 21 years old, right? Okay, let's say you go out with your friends one night. You have a good time, you're out at dinner, you drink too much. You come back home, the next morning you have a hangover. You're hurting really bad, right? Now, when you wake up, what's your first thought going to be? Well, I drank too much, but you're going to immediately begin making excuses for yourself. Well, it was fun. I haven't been out that much. It's been a hard week. I've been stressed out. You're going to make all those excuses for yourself. Because the reason why is that you don't want to let that thought creep in there that maybe you have a problem. Because nobody wants to admit to that, right? So you're going to hold that, put that off to the side. Now, for those of you who might be a little bit younger, let me give you a different example. Let's say you download 
a movie, or you buy, as opposed to buying a piece of music, you just download it for free. Now, this happens all the time. It's what people do all over the place, right? And so your first initial reaction is going to be to say, well, hey, nobody pays for music anymore. This is not the way it works. So even though you're doing something unethical, you just kind of toss it to the side. Or what about when you get into an argument with somebody? Is your first reaction to say to them, oh, I'm really sorry that I got into this argument with you? No. Your first reaction is to sit there and say, I'm right. And the reason why I'm right is because I'm nice, I'm a good person, and you, you know, you got into this argument with me, so just realize I'm in the right and everything will be better, right? That's kind of how we do it, isn't it? The number one source of dishonesty in the world is how humans try to justify their own behaviors. Humans are geniuses when it comes to the art of saying why they are right and everyone else is wrong. We are perfect at that. We are the best justifiers of everything. Let me give you a good example of this. My wife, Courtney, she's an attorney, and she works with people who are in federal prison. So they're going through their appeals process. That's what she does for them. Now these people, they have been convicted of their crime, they are sitting in federal prison, and there's usually a mountain of evidence against them. And yet, none of these people with whom she has worked has ever admitted that they are guilty. Not one. Even though they're sitting in federal prison, mind you. Now the reason why this happens, this mental block, neuropsychologists will sit there and tell you, it comes down to two words. It's called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is the reason why it's so hard for our yes to be yes and our no to be no. Cognitive dissonance is when two thoughts or two actions in your life contradict one another. So let's take my wife's work. You're sitting in federal prison, but you have this idea in your mind that you're a good person, right? Those two things don't go together, do they? So you have two choices. One choice is you gotta get rid of the idea that you're a good person and admit that you did something wrong and that you're in federal prison for the right reason, right? Or if you're gonna hold on to this idea that you're a good person, you gotta blame somebody else. So it's the government's fault that I'm in here because, yeah, they said I didn't pay my taxes, but you know, really they owed me money and it was all this big mistake. That's what Courtney hears all the time when she does her work. But if you're not into tax evasion, like Courtney's clients, there's other ways that I'm sure you're doing this in your life. So one big way that we do this is when we try to justify why we are right. So everybody in here wants to believe on a certain level that they are right. Right? That, they, that what they believe, how you look at the world, that that's the right way to look at the world. And the reason why you believe that is because fundamentally, deep down inside, you believe that you are a good person, right? I mean, deep down inside, don't we all want to believe that? And so when you get into an argument with somebody, when you're debating them about the way the world should be, the reason why you believe that your way is right and their way is wrong is because deep down inside you're a good person and if you let go of the idea that your way is right, then you might be letting go of that idea that you're a good person because it's all bound up in that same concept. And here we come across the fundamental reason why following Jesus' teaching is so challenging. We all want to believe we're good people. There's not a single person in the world 
Not a single person. Can we agree on that? There's not a single person in the world. I don't care whether you're sitting in this church. I don't care whether you're a terrorist around the world. I don't care whether you're an atheist somewhere else. Everybody wants to believe that they're a good person. Nobody wants to give in to this idea that maybe we're bad or defective in some way. But if you're going to follow Jesus' teaching to make your yes, yes, and your no, no, you have to own your faults and flaws. And I mean really own them. You have to look at your behaviors, how you act, what you say, and you have to take all of that in, and you have to be honest with yourself. Because, and I'm not just saying, like, because I've heard people say, yes, yes, you know, yes, I'm a flawed person, I know that. No, it's not that. It's really owning it. Because if you can't be honest on the inside, there's no way you're going to be honest on the outside. It is being honest internally that allows you to be honest externally. And where that comes from is looking in the mirror. Because when you look in the mirror and you really see who you are, your warts, your faults, your flaws, all of it, and you lay it out there, something amazing happens. It actually allows you to become a good person. Because when you own your faults, rather than denying that they exist, that is when you can actually overcome your faults and your flaws. It gives you permission. And this is very important. There's this interesting paradox in life. If you hold on to this idea that you are a good person, if you hold on to that, and you label yourself that way, then you're never going to be able to overcome those things. Because by denying that you have faults and flaws, you can never become more than those things. But if you get rid of that, and you say, okay, my faults and flaws, I have those things, they are real, and maybe I'm not the best person that I think I am. That actually gives you permission to overcome them. Because in saying that you have those things, you can become more than them. But it takes looking in the mirror. So let me give you an example of this. So one way that looking in the mirror of your life happens is by literally looking in a mirror. So this had to happen for me. I told you all a few weeks ago about how I struggle with anger. Anger is a big issue for me when I was younger. Everybody around me was telling me that I had these anger issues. And one day, I literally sat there and I had to look into a mirror. And I sat there for like 10 minutes and I'm saying, all these people are saying that I have these anger issues. I do not think that I do. So I sat there and I looked at myself for 10 minutes, and I eventually came to the decision, they're right. I do have these anger issues. Now, in acknowledging that, it's what allowed me to overcome it. But if I hadn't acknowledged it, I would have held on to it, and I would have never been able to become more than that. Another way that you take a look in the mirror is by looking at the people around you. Because the people around you are a reflection of how you have impacted them in your life. So your words, your actions, the things that you have said, the things that you have done, they are reflecting back to you those things that you have done. And when you really look at it, because it can be hard sometimes, because you can see how you've really hurt people, once you see that, then you can try to make it right. And when you try to make it right, that allows you to overcome those things as well. And the final way you can do it is how I overcame my lying is that you meet somebody exactly like yourself. Now, when I was in eighth grade, I met this guy, Brad. He might as well have been my twin. This guy, he was all of my worst qualities embodied in this person, right? He lied about everything. 
And what's ironic about this is that at first, I didn't even realize it, right? I met this guy, I'm like, this guy has a really interesting life, very fascinating, right? Like, I didn't even notice it when I first met him. And then one day, we're sitting at the table at lunch, and he comes over, and he tells us some story that is just so obviously outlandish, just like so out there, that everybody's like, oh, Brad, just, can you just move on? And he's like, no, I swear to God, it's true. And that was when it clicked for me. I was like, is this what I sound like? Because this guy sounds ridiculous. So if this is what I sound like, clearly I can understand why nobody would want to be my friend because I wouldn't want to be my friend if I sound like that. And that was the moment that I made a decision that from that point forward, I was always going to tell the truth, no matter how negative or boring it might be. And what I've come to find is that telling the truth is so much more interesting than lying. Because truth is the cornerstone of trust, and trust is how you build relationships, and relationships are the most important thing we have in this world. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you might be willing to take a hard look at your life. Look in the mirror and try to be honest with yourself just once. What you're going to see staring back at you, I guarantee you, it's not going to be pretty. But if you're willing to be honest about your faults and your flaws, and you're willing to take responsibility for how those things have hurt other people in the world, then that is the first huge step towards making your yes, yes, and your no, no. And if we're being honest with each other, that is really what makes life most interesting. Saying yes, yes, and no, no and everybody believing what you're saying so that you can create positive change in their lives. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.